One of the biggest challenges I see uh, when we talk to our customers is really uh, not on the technology. That's something easy to convey and, and to prove. You know, you, you, you put it in a lab, you show that you can do it and, and the benefits of, uh, of the automation. The biggest challenge is really people and organizational structures and changing the mindset because it comes with a classic ways of working that have been, you know, forever, very long and Welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield, and this is the next in our Transmissions from Tomorrow series of podcasts where I get the opportunity to talk to some of the amazing subject matter experts from Ericsson. And today I have in the studio with me Fernanda Mendez. Hi, Fernanda. How are you? Hey, hi, Des. How are you? I'm doing great. So great to catch up with you here again. Uh, now, uh, just to introduce you from a, a job title point of view, and then I'd like to get a little bit of background on what that role means uh, and yourself. Uh, I understand you're the head of management orchestration uh, at uh, Ericsson, as well as the head of Cenex. Uh, you've got two job titles, and I'd love to get you to describe a little bit about how that's come about and what they mean, um, and in particular in the solution area operation support systems at Ericsson. Um, could you maybe just give us a little bit of a summary on kind of the, the primary role, I guess, the head of management orchestration, and then a little insight into how you've come to have the second role of being the head of Cenex? Oh, absolutely, Des. This is uh, exciting times at Ericsson, as you know. Uh, 5G is coming, and as part of uh, 5G uh, right at our door, uh, uh, we have an increasing interest in, of course, uh, uh, simplifying operations, and that's where management and orchestration comes in. Our our, uh, our role here is that to make sure that um, service providers and telecom operators understand and, and uh, that they need to automate their networks and the network management in general and orchestration is at the uh, is a vital step to get them to to uh, that network modernization that's needed and to that simplification that's needed. So as part of my role of head of management and orchestration, our goal is to help our our customers to get to uh, to that level of automation that's needed to simplify their life and their operations in general. So that's sort of one side of the story where where we come in in terms of uh, orchestration, in terms of network management and life cycle of the network uh, from a, a fulfillment provisioning perspective. But then recently we acquired Cenex in September 2018. We acquire a company, Cenex. Uh, this company is a service assurance company. And as you probably know, and some of you out there know, that the holy grail of the, the whole network management industry has been uh, closed-loop automation. And the only way you can actually do that is by uh, bringing in a, a service assurance company uh, like Cenex and bring bridge the two worlds of uh, orchestration and service assurance and basically bring us closer to that closed loop automation world that uh, that we that we want in order to uh, help the operators uh, automate their networks. So that's uh, basically where where I ended up. I think it was uh, an extension of what I was already doing in management and orchestration, and basically bringing in that other extra piece that was that's absolutely needed in order to to close the loop. No, absolutely, and I'd like to dive into that a bit more, um, particularly the. Um 
automation piece and, and some of the key things. And uh, I should introduce the, the fact that uh, for listeners, we're here at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, uh, uh, MWC 2019, and there's a bunch of really exciting announcements that we're going to share with listeners in a moment. But before we dive into that, one of the things I'd love to do um, is I often ask my guests just to give us a little insight into themselves personally as to where they're originally from, where they grew up, what their uh, academic and career path has been like, uh, and then and then circle back into, I guess, some of the exciting things around uh, uh, your role in general, and particularly what you're doing at Senex, and then some exciting announcements for listeners. So stick with us, and um, what can you give us uh, as far as some insights in your background and how you came to this exciting role? Well, that's, um, it's, it's a very interesting background, in my opinion. I always, I'm always very proud to be a Colombian, uh, a warm-hearted Colombian uh, from South America, and uh, basically uh, went to New York, uh, did my PhD in fiber optic communications, uh, worked uh, in AT&T Bell Labs. So I have a, a little bit of taste of winter. But uh, but of course, you know, as part of uh, our journey through through the uh, telecom space, uh, I went through startups and uh, Ericsson acquired one of those in uh, in 2007. So I joined Ericsson via an acquisition, and uh, and from that moment on, I became an Ericsson citizen, a proud Ericsson citizen. Um, and uh, and then, of course, you know, as, as all Ericsson citizens, we go to headquarters in Sweden. And uh, I've been in Sweden now for a year and, and a half. And I thought that I knew winter. And then uh, when I went to Sweden, I realized I didn't. Uh, and then imagine uh, acquiring Cenex uh, with headquarters in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, and then moving to Ottawa uh, to take uh, on the, the responsibility of running Senex. And then I really, really now know what winter is all about. <laughs> uh, so that's been my journey so far uh, from, uh, from a warm uh, country to uh, journeys of winters in different countries. But a fantastic, uh, fantastic experience with Ericsson. Uh, it's been uh, quite a pleasure. It's an amazing background, and I remember doing my uh, research and homework on just kind of what you're working on currently, and just being astounded by that journey. It, uh, you know, uh, I guess you know, going through the process of doing a PhD, uh, your initial roles, and then, uh, as you said, quote unquote, and I love that we should get that on a T-shirt, becoming an Ericsson citizen, um, and then the the nearly uh, nearly two years, as you mentioned, in, in uh, I believe it's in Schiste, which is about 20 kilometers uh, out of uh, Stockholm. Uh, out near the airport there, which is a lovely space. I've had the privilege of spending a week there recently uh, at the studio and the labs. Uh, and then now in Ottawa, that's, um, yeah, I, I hopefully it doesn't get anywhere else colder that you get sent to. Now, you've got uh, some really big announcements I'd like to dive into. And then I guess just delve into the detail of what they actually mean. Uh, and then maybe in a couple of pieces, maybe first we'll just talk about what the announcement actually is and then bring it back into kind of the, the, the I guess, what's on show here at MWC and the showcase that's available and what people have, have been able to see and what they can expect if they're on the floor looking at it. Um, you've announced uh, Ericsson Dynamic Orchestration Platform, uh, uh, an entire solution essentially built around the lifestyle management of services and, and all things related to the service delivery. Uh, in your words, how, uh, how do you describe this and uh, launch an announcement and what's, what does it entail? Uh, well, that's, uh, you know, uh, let me take you back a bit. Uh, we actually launched uh, Ericsson Dynamic Orchestration in uh, Telemanagement tele Forum NIS in May 2017. But at the time, basically, uh, it, it included a few pieces of the puzzle. What are those pieces of the puzzle? The puzzle uh, for a totality of what is really needed to automate and lifecycle manage services 
you need pieces like you know orchestration like uh, cloud uh, orchestration uh, bnf or what we call network function management uh, network function orchestrations and and we had service orchestration pieces and so on so there is like a, a collection of pieces functional pieces that together give us that uh, automation that we need to be, be able to design services to onboard them to test them uh, against any any type of uh, cloud environment and to create and provision, uh, for instance, end-to-end -end type of network slices from radio through transport all the way to core. And to do that, we, we, know we have to bring different pieces together. So dynamic orchestration started uh, back in 2017 with, with the message that we are able to automate uh, the instantiation provisioning of network functions in virtual environments. And then we started adding pieces as we moved along. So in this, uh, in this show, the Moral World Congress 2019, we are adding a few strategic pieces that will complete uh, the portfolio and it will give us the, uh, the uh, differentiation we need in the market as part of closing the loop uh, to automate uh, the true lifecycle management of services from the moment that they're designed to the moment that they're deployed to the moment that they need to be upgraded and to the moment that we need to resolve the problems in the network real time. So that's basically what we're doing this time around in our World Congress, launching the evolved dynamic orchestration where we now have a very open solution uh, it's a multi-vendor solution. Uh, it complies with uh, uh, the, the industry standards that we that we now have. And of course, what's even more important is that you have a single solution across radio, transport, and core. Yeah, I guess these are you know, the, the the foundation components of, of any operator, or carrier, and telco in general. And one of the things that struck me uh, looking at the release material and some of the latest announcements and certainly the showcase was that the speed and scale and complexity of all these systems, you know, we, it's been decades since people could run around and plug little cables into switches and routers and other devices to instantiate new services. But all the new research coming out of the consumer labs and all of the new data that's coming out of the Ericsson Mobility Report shows just breathtaking, uh, eye-watering speed of adoption, onboarding. And I, I remember reading uh, even in a recent version uh, of the Ericsson Mobility Report that Ericsson's onboarding something like a, a million new subscribers in, into the platforms per day. And I guess this is where this really comes into play, that that whole automation of the, uh, uh, the whole piece that you mentioned around the design, the testing, the onboarding, and, and then the orchestration and management of that platform because humans just can't deal with that speed and scale and in many ways, I guess, at the front end, uh, it could be consumer-driven instantiation as well. Um, what can you tell us about that whole journey of the process from design test through to onboarding and, and then implementing services now that it's this automated, orchestrated process? What does that end-to-end -end picture look like? Well, there's, uh, what's interesting is that this whole complexity that now we are seeing uh, increasing by, by uh, 5G as we, as we speak, you know, I think we... Uh, in the process, we really thought that uh, we were going to be able to manage the complexity until 5G started to happen sooner than later, basically 2019 is, is the year. And as we start going through all these use cases that we, we are seeing in, in 5G, we realized that the complexity was significantly higher and the ability to manage this complexity and deliver these end-to-end 5G services um, required that we basically accelerate 
the delivery of automation uh, towards our, our, our customers and, and service providers. So what happened was that the expectation uh, uh, that we now have is somewhere between a range of 30, 30% to 50% automation and, and, and reducing the OPEX uh, that the uh, operators have today. So we're looking into, into a journey of automation that will get us to almost 50% reduction in OPEX on a three-year time frame. That's kind of the, the, the goal that we are setting for, for us as well as uh, to help our customers uh, simplify their, their operations. Now, of course, I think we, we early on saw a lot of uh, upfront costs that uh, were related to investments that needed to happen early on to to really um, uh, get these benefits later on. But, but definitely the capital efficiency uh, will be there and we're already seeing the signs in some of the deployments that we, we have, we, you know, as, as we have great experience now with 50 plus uh, orchestration contracts out there and 15 plus uh, live deployments of our uh, dynamic orchestration solution. So there, therefore, we have now uh, seen uh, a lot of the benefits of the automation we bring with our solutions. And now adding the uh, service assurance uh, from Senex and the closed loop automation that will come with uh, more of a, a real time uh, monitoring and real time uh, solution. Uh, and restoration, it will be an incredible gain uh, that we will be able to provide to um, to managing the networks of the future. Yeah. Now, as, as, yeah uh, sorry, go ahead, Des. I was just going to ask you one quick question. So, I mean, you know, there's you, some of the numbers you're talking about there. I mean, the, you know, when we think about this sort of technology, often people think that it's something coming in the future. But but what you're saying there, that, that you've got a significant number of, of, of partners and clients that have already taken this on board and have already started to implement it and put it in, into play. Absolutely. I mean, we, we have customers today that have deployed our solution that have basically reduced introduction of services from uh, from uh, months to hours. And, and this is just from a, a time to market perspective is a significant increase on revenue recognition for our service providers when they're able to introduce these now complex services in such a short period of time. So, and those are, you know, uh, validated by, by many of our customers who have deployed now our solutions. Uh, we also have, uh, what it also enables is, is being creative, right? What we need uh, to support and enable our customers with is the ability to innovate and create new services faster, to be able to, to test them, fail if, if, you know, fail fast and start again. That's something we couldn't do before because the cycle uh, to introduce services was very long and it was very expensive. So now I think uh, as part of uh, uh, the evolved dynamic orchestration solution is that we're giving them uh, the ability to onboard, test, validate a lot of these services in a much faster way with a, a much lower total cost of ownership to introduce these, these services while still you know, monetizing and being innovative. Yeah, there's a number of very big things that jump out at me, and certainly with the uh, the, the information that's coming out of the, the showcase here and, and the event in general and, and the launch announcement is that, you know, as you said, I mean, telco and the, and the, the whole telecommunications industry as a whole, operators, carriers, there's been some massive sunk costs in, in radio antennas and towers and cable on the ground or wireless networks backwards and forwards, uh, infrastructure data centers and all the operational support systems and the development and design and the the time to return on investment is often sort of, you know, decade plus or even 15 odd years. Now you're talking about not just months, but 
but hours. Uh, and uh, and I do love that key thing that really jumped out at me. I just made a note of it that we're used to seeing startups do that whole agile fail and fell fast, but we are not necessarily as used to seeing that in the big infrastructure space such as telco. But I imagine that's that's a complete game changer that Ericsson's brought about, not just in what you're doing around this whole uh, dynamic orchestration and the service assurance, which we'll get into in a bit more. But as you said, you know, you can you can be creative, you can come up with new ideas and. To me, this seems to answer two ends of the spectrum because you've got the consumers demanding certain types of services in various forms and wanting them you know, immediately because they're, they're just hungry consumers for new things. And you've got the operators desperate to deliver those but not always being enabled. But now you've been able to glue these two pieces together where the operators and the carriers and the telcos can not just meet the demand that consumers are asking for but to create even more innovative, flexible things. And as you said, you know, fail and fail fast. Try it if it doesn't work skew it slightly differently. That must just be an absolute game changer when, you, when you're when you having meetings with the organisations that you work with and your clients and partners, that they realise that little aha moment, that eureka moment was like, well, we can do that now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it is an aha moment. But uh, that's, to, to be honest, one of the biggest challenges I see uh, when we talk to our, our customers is really uh, not on the technology, uh, I think that's 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 something easy to convey and and to prove. You know, you you, you put it in a lab, you show that you can do it, and and the benefits of uh, of the automation. The the biggest challenge is really people and organizational structures and changing the mindset because it comes with uh, uh, a classic ways of working uh, that have been uh, you know forever very long and slow. So this uh, this uh, this try and fail fast and start again uh, kind of uh, mindset um, needs to also be uh, part of the culture of the organization in order for 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 the organization to take advantage of the technology, and this has been one of the I think uh, one of the biggest challenges in in, in recent uh, uh, discussions with customers. How do we get our organization, our people, also to now? change the way they think, the way they, they actually uh, work across cross-functionally in domains that in, in the recent uh, past and in some operators today still exist, a uh, very silo mentality across many, many technology domains. So this is something that I think is still, is still uh, work we need to help uh, and work together with them. Uh, to help them kind of evolve also the the organizational challenges that they face. This is the benefit of having a partner like Ericsson on board uh, at the risk of sounding like I'm doing a big sales pitch. But the thing that strikes me with, with the depth and breadth and the, and, and the lifespan of an organization like Ericsson is that you've seen all the challenges before, you've solved them. One of the things I loved watching with this whole transition to cloud models that Ericsson's taken is that you became your own first client. Your own infrastructure was cloudified. You automated your own infrastructure. You orchestrated the whole thing before you even took it to the market. And that, to me, uh, speaks volumes because uh, if you're using your own things, then uh, what's the term? You're eating your own dog food. People say that you're not just selling the thing. You're actually using it and, and, and building your own infrastructure on it. One of the things I'd love to get into more detail on, uh, when we talked about some of the key components around the automation piece and the components that go into that, particularly with artificial intelligence and machine learning around that closed-loop automation piece, and you've been doing this with the, the likes of Cenex, who you've now acquired uh, for the better part of a decade, as far as I know, uh, and, and now you've gone through this acquisition and, 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 and you're heading the organization up yourself, um, which is just amazing, and congratulations on that. 
This, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, the, the integration of Senex as an organisation in, and, and the onboarding into the Ericsson uh, family so they become Ericsson citizens, as you said. Uh, there must be a, an interesting shift into the leveraging that automation uh, and, and the AI and machine learning capability to, to drive that faster outcome and, and more intelligent self-healing. What can you tell us about what that journey's been like through, I guess, the last decade with Senex and in particular what you're doing now with them onboarding the organisation post-acquisition and in particular the value that, that the whole closed-loop automation brings now to the, the complete suite that Ericsson offers? Uh, good point, Des. So we started with uh, Senex as partners, um, and, and we've been working with them for some time now. And as part of, of the work that we did with them, uh, we quickly realized, you know, the ways of working was uh, in a very, for the operator, again, it was a silo. So they have, you know, assurance solutions. They had provisioning systems, uh, you know, network management systems, orchestration systems, all kind of in, in their own little bubbles, right? And, and, and to be honest, we even worked with partners sort of in, you know, in, in, in our own little kind of bubble, uh, delivering our value proposition, sort of an, an independent entity. But when, when we acquired Senex, and then I started working together with the team, having the management and orchestration hat on, and then putting on the uh, service assurance and kind of uh, analytics, um, you know, AI, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning type of uh, concepts that came in with Senex, then it would quickly realize that those silos needed to be broken, that we can leverage more from each other in a more horizontal fashion, where where we integrate all of these uh, functional aspects that are in one way or another automating certain pieces of the life cycle. Of, of the services, and if we horizontalize all of this and, and create more of a uh, real-time automation by gathering insights with Senex, uh, bringing in all of that intelligence that they already had as part of managing complex uh, scenarios in, in the uh, operator's uh, domain, and then connecting that to our strength in orchestration and network management, that basically is the value proposition of the next generation operational uh, support system. This is what really is is all about. This is the evolution of OSS or operation support systems. It has to be horizontalized. We need to be able to automate all, all across from this lifecycle management of, of services, especially now that 5G brings an incredible boost of, uh, of connectivity, of innovation. Uh, now we're not just providing uh, mobile broadband services for subscribers and end users we're, or residential, uh, for instance, uh, customers. It's going to be an industry-driven market, right? And, and this creates and brings a whole uh, different level of complexity that we need to manage by enabling um, the whole concept of network slicing automation. As part of network slicing, we bring the dedicated uh, level of uh, assurance and quality of services on a per slice level. And we, we are able to accomplish that by connecting the two worlds of orchestration and assurance and making that the closed-loop automation uh, solution that we want to deliver together with Senex. It is an exciting integration, and I think the thing that strikes me is that with the whole uh, uh, OSS piece uh, uh, very cleanly and seamlessly integrated to the, the business support systems, you've now got both ends of the spectrum where you've got sort of the, the creation and design of ideas and concepts and products and services 
the instantiation and, and the automation of the, the creation and the deploy of them, all the way through to the, the managed component of logging and tracking and billing and, 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 and all that comes with that. And I, I love the idea that um, people can try ideas quickly. They can Because I, I think this brings down a couple of things. As you mentioned before, the time to market is reduced dramatically. Uh, the operational support costs are obviously diminished significantly because you know, you've got systems and software involved here. You're not moving physical things around. And I guess the, the dynamic capability to, to take a concept and an idea and test it and run it and then you know, turn it 90 degrees sideways and see what happens – and the thing that I also like is the, the effectively, like I guess the way that I would refer to it, is a self-healing component that this system is watching itself, monitoring itself, and using artificial intelligence in the form of, I guess, machine learning in this sense, uh, at, at you know, what's happening. So that you know, we're used to things like on the internet, for example, people are probably familiar with Border Gateway Protocol, that the internet was designed to survive a, a nuclear war blast and route around that. And, you know, we... When we send an email or, or if, we, uh, if we're watching Netflix, we're always expecting that thing to be, you know, always on. And, and we're used to that with the phone infrastructure. But the complexity that's going to come with 5G now, I think the thing that you were just talking about there with regard to what 5G brings to the table, we often forget that 5G isn't just the phone voice call component, which used to be the killer app for telephony, uh, but that it's everything all the way through to autonomous vehicles careering down the road at great speeds and mapping the world around them, making intelligent decisions about the time of the day, the weather, uh, traffic conditions, and everything in between. And then you've got the Internet of Things and all the sensors. And I I guess this is the key thing that I'd love to get your insights on, uh, what types of adoption so far you've seen with the whole dynamic orchestration uh, platform that Ericsson's now uh, building and integrating, particularly with Senex's closed automation piece. What are some of the things that people are doing with this that are slightly different from the traditional telco space that you're seeing out there? Or have you got any insights that you're seeing come down the line that people are going to do with it? Uh, yeah, so we, we, for instance, are involved in, in several now live deployments uh, with uh, customers uh, globally. And, and they're using it in many ways, in different ways. Uh, and they have different, basically, um, business models uh, that they're applying in order to grow their business. I'll give you an example. For instance, we have a global tier one European operator that um, their secret sauce, basically, because they're global, they have um, basically operations uh, in 30-plus countries. Uh, uh, and, and their main goal is to be able to kind of uh, centralize uh, and, and have a central versus distributed model that is consistent, that the operations are basically the same uh, across all of their operations globally. And mm-hmm. and when they decide to deploy any type of service, that basically it can be a, sort of a, a one-click model that it's done centrally and basically gets distributed across all of their operations in a, in, in a very short time. So their secret sauce is being able to reach out to all of their operations in, 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 in a very, very fast uh, way. And that is consistent and is, 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 you can t- duplicate it in a consistent manner and that basically saves a lot of uh, time, effort and money for them. So for that, you need the, the, the concept and the ability to orchestrate acro- across distributed clouds, right? They have a centralized crowd, cl- cloud, a regional cloud, uh, a national cloud and so on. And the ability to be able to orchestrate all these workloads uh, that are needed independent of where in the world they need to place them in a more um, um, efficient way, then 
that's their secret recipe, and we uh, enable them to do that. And that's like one way of basically uh, uh, having a more automated and efficient way of uh, managing their workloads uh, across their, their clouds. Then for that, what that means is that when there is a use case that requires low latency, they need to be able to place those workloads very close to the end user or the end, end enterprise or the end thing, whatever we call that thing that's going to be using that service. Because now it's no longer about us humans just using a service. I think more and more we'll be hearing about the things that are using the service. And, and, and the ability to place those workloads specifically to match the requirements of latency, for instance, uh, that are needed for that thing to use the service is what creates the need to be able to place them uh, in an intelligent way. And this is where all of this automation of workload placement, intelligent placement uh, comes into place. And for that, you need to have the intelligence to know where to put them. And that's where the, the, the collective uh, work of orchestration and uh, assurance, as well as being able to monitor and analyze where the uh, location of all of these different workloads should be collectively is where, where they put the differentiation in, in, in the automation that's needed for, for, for the operators. And I imagine that, uh, you know, part of what I've seen from the showcase component, there's a lot of excitement about what's possible. And there's also uh, an interesting message that I've picked up, and it may not be uh, entirely correct, but the, the capacity and ability that you've bought uh, as a result of this whole uh, dynamic orchestration capability is to be able to push some of those workloads out to the edge of the network or where they should be. Uh, and, and that or, or orchestration and automation component that allows the system and the network to move and route uh, intelligently on demand. I, I imagine you've got a combination of you know, big things moving around the network on one side and you've got, you know, whether it's an autonomous vehicle or whatever the case may be, uh, through to little things like mobile phones on the other side in the traditional telco space, but then you've got lots of little sensors. But then I think there's also the disruption of fixed wireless access, and that is I imagine we're going to see a lot of adoption of fixed wireless access, or FWA as it's referred to generally, where people right. are going to transition to 5G for either at home or small to medium-sized enterprise or highly distributed environments like uh, university campuses. And the network's going to have to be able to intelligently move that traffic uh, to, to deliver those services on demand if and when, because you've got, I imagine, one end of the spectrum looking at some of the showcase demos, fixed wireless access into a house where someone's using it between certain hours of the day for consumer and user B2C space through to the small to medium-sized businesses doing it during business hours and then large enterprises doing things like remote data moving, remote backups, whatever the case may be, or even at nighttime, you know, video streaming for security these workloads, uh, they've got to be fast, they've got to be dynamic, they've got to be agile. And at the end of the day, the network's got to, to provide that service and the assurance to run it, doesn't it? Absolutely, exactly. It's spot on. And I think, uh, you know, before we, if, if you recall, we, we used to think of, you know, you, you have a network uh, function or, or, a, or a network service. You instantiate, you install it, basically, you get it uh, up and running, and then you just kind of leave. And then and of hope it doesn't break. And if it does break, it's like, oh, my God, it's going to take a long time to figure out why it broke and where it broke and who who is responsible. And, and there was all of these kind of long cycles to determine what happened, right? That has been always the, the challenge in operations. Now I think you, you'll see because of, of the technological changes, also the, the, the cultural uh, changes in operations, 
we are seeing that that uh, the expectation is, oh, well, you instantiate. If it breaks, you know what? Create a new one. And it should be very fast. You know, it, it should be as fast as I'm saying it. Uh, it's, it's no longer an, uh, kind of a question whether, oh, where, where's the problem? What happened? No, it, it should be automatic. We should already know what it is. We should already find out where I should put it uh, and then fix it uh, real time. And that puts a lot of uh, pressure on, on the operational team because it's expected. I, we no longer have patience to wait as, as a user as well as a, a provider. It just needs to happen and needs to happen fast. So this is something that I think is being now uh, kind of uh, driven by, by our latest generation of users that uh, have no patience to wait and uh, don't want best effort. They want what they're paying for. Indeed, and you're used to a world where uh, five nines is normal and, and they're expecting even better than that. There was a, a funny moment, uh, and I won't name who because they'll get embarrassed, but a funny moment ago earlier today where I was having a conversation with someone around this whole idea of what virtual network uh, functions are like and network virtualizations about and this orchestration and what we're used to with the sort of traditional unicorn startups, but now that the, the, the large operators like Ericsson can offer, uh, this whole idea of, you know, what does it mean to be able to create something and deploy it? And if it breaks, create another one. So what I did is I reached out and I grabbed a copy of their presentation, put it on a photocopy that's in one of the meeting rooms, made a copy, gave them the copy and tore up the original and went, I just reinstantiated your your presentation. <laughs> <laughs> and they were horrified for a moment. And then they realized they just had a copy of it. And I said, I can do that again and again and again. Now, obviously, in the paper sense, there might be some degradation of the quality of the copy. But in a software sense, you can just run it and run it and run it. And we see this with data science and cloud models and I guess this is the whole point, isn't it, that this uh, DevOps, uh, uh, you know, we're moving towards containerized platforms. We're running them in clusters of things like Kubernetes. They're running on open cloud platforms. And you can just build it, test it, try it, run it, deploy it, and then step back and work on the next version. And even that automation of the deployment of the next release, the next release, and if something goes wrong, it can back it out all by itself. And it does it so fast and so seamlessly that... Uh, even if I did dial up and get a, a tone error of some sort, I'd dial back and it instantly fix itself. And I think this is such a big game changer away from what we've had with these, you know, as you said before, you know, potentially decades to roll infrastructure out and get a return on investment, months to deploy new capabilities. Invariably, you know, as a consumer myself, I would get so frustrated when even something basic like I remember a small message system or simple message system SMS coming out and thinking, why couldn't they just put images in it? And then that came out, you know, years later. And it was like, why did it take so long? You know, and of course, I, d I didn't know what went in the background. These days, right. things just move instantly. I was interested in the intelligence piece as well, because, you know, when you talked about um, that intelligence moving slightly further or out to the edge of the network and, and where the data is, where the, the smarts need to be. I had a similar conversation with someone around the fact that that's already happening, and that is our smartphones automatically update their operating systems. The applications on them automatically update themselves with patches, and you know we're all used to the, the, the Windows PC experience of updating itself. And I guess that's kind of where you've gotten to now with this whole dynamic orchestration component uh, of Ericsson's dynamic orchestration platform and, and all the service assurance of that is that as you roll out new releases, new patches, new updates, and self-healing, a lot of that day-to-day hands-on piece uh, that, that would be involved in the operational component of the network and infrastructure and virtualization and instantiation, you can probably now move the team's focus to the actual delivery of the service and dealing with the consumer piece or the design. Is that a, a fair thing to say, that you don't necessarily have to worry about the nuts and bolts of it anymore because it's intelligent enough to run itself and let you know if it needs help, and you can sort of shift the brain set, the mindset to what can we do next and how can we do better? 
Uh, absolutely. I think we, we've encountered, uh, we had different conversations across the, our journey, our, our learning journey together with our customers, because we, we are together in this journey and we're learning together to overcome the barriers that we see. One, one of the things that, that we, we realized early on is that the moment that you, you reach those levels of kind of self-healing, you know, uh, zero-touch type of uh, models, then, yes, you have now a, a team of people that don't need to be focused on on manually fixing things that can move on to be uh, creators of business, data scientists, you know, uh, enablers of, of creative, creative new models uh, for, for revenue-creating and business opportunities. Uh, and, and, and that is a whole a whole different world. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that uh, opens up for a whole different uh, business model also for our service providers. The, uh, the term game changer keeps coming up uh, here at uh, uh, MWC on a regular basis. And, and I think that's uh, it's almost one of those things that needs to be put on the back of Ericsson's business cards, game changer. But, um, well, now, before we wrap up, I would love to, I mean, it's been an exciting uh, week here at uh, Mobile World Congress. Uh, it's been exciting to see the... Uh, the latest updates in the launch, and, and congratulations on this exciting uh, challenge of, of heading up Cynix and, uh, and the, the, the whole business, uh, I guess, ingest and, and integration into it. Uh, there's some exciting things coming out of the organization and, and, and love what you're doing individually in your role. Um, I'd love to, uh, before we wrap up, I normally ask people to look into a crystal ball and sort of gaze into the future and, and predict, predict the future based on their insights. But I know you've probably got your finger in a lot of very big, moving, disruptive components and trends. I'm wondering if you can maybe just uh, do a little bit of crystal ball gazing in some sense, but let us get a bit of insight in kind of what you're seeing, given that you're literally at the bleeding edge and creating these things. What are some of the biggest disruptors? What are some of the trends that you're seeing come about? What's happening around the world that, that you're influencing and driving? Oh, uh, absolutely, Des. And I think, you know, Moral World Congress has been an excellent, uh, excellent uh, event. I think we've, we've had a lot of traction. Uh, they're coming in, looking at our demos in network slicing automation and in closed loop automation, which basically have the, the full uh, scope of our um, portfolio uh, here displayed in Barcelona. Um, and, and as part of uh, what we are showcasing also, it's, it's, it's that crystal ball that you mentioned. It's sort of that gaze into the future. You know, I feel sometimes that I, I, I'm here and I, I can just, you know, uh, say to one of our demo proof points and say, hey, Ericsson, show me all possible migration risks from 4G to 5G. And that one of these uh, computers is just going to talk to me back and say, hey, this is your mitigation plan. This is uh, it's ready to be deployed. Do you want to do it now? And then I feel like I'm just uh, already there, uh, pretty much uh, close to the nirvana that we are all uh, ready and waiting for. So that that sometimes uh, you know it, it feels like uh, I'm about to uh, get a response from one of these computers very soon. Uh, but uh, going back, <laughs> I love going that. Back, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. So going back to your your trends and drivers, I think what we are seeing more and more is that we had incredible, we, we still have incredible disruptors in our area in operation uh, uh, support systems. Things like, for instance, um, you know, a standardization like Etsy Mano, for instance, and, and this is uh, Etsy management and, and network orchestration. And also in ONAP, you know, the uh, ONAP disruption also to, to be more open uh, and to be able to uh, create any service, to design any service, to orchestrate any service across 
any type of uh, uh, vendor uh, out there, uh, incorporating a lot of incredible technologies. So all of this, I think, it's it's now converging. I think you know the the critical phase of uh, um, the the worlds of Etsimano and ONAP are now becoming a bit more of a uh, reaching a convergence level where where both of these worlds now can leverage. Uh, from the learnings uh, of each other and uh, and be able to support networks that have uh, predominantly been uh, on the kind of Etsy Mano standard and now can actually be uh, uh, converged to the ONAP uh, solution. So this this is these things are happening. This was something that was worrisome for some time, but I think uh, uh, we're marching in the right direction uh, in terms of the convergence of these two these two areas. So that that for us, I think, is an important an important uh, milestone, and and of course, I think a lot of the other uh, continue uh, to see a lot of the trends in the DevOps uh, ways of working. I think that uh, it's still, you know, the whole concept of continuous continuous integration, continuous uh, uh, deployment, uh, is quite important, uh, as you mentioned before. We've done it, for instance, in Ericsson, in our internal processes. We are basically delivering product uh, products like our uh, Ericsson Network Manager uh, with uh, general availability quality every three weeks that can be picked up by any customer. So I think the challenge there is when uh, is helping our customers be able to receive um, our updates, our upgrades uh, in a more continuous fashion and how we can get together to a level of agility that will be able to introduce this sort of DevOps ways of working where a lot of, uh, of the functionality is readily available as it comes out of the shop. So all of these trends, I think, are happening as we speak. And it's, it's how do we now leverage all of these technologies uh, in, in, in order to be uh, more efficient and, uh, and benefit from the gains that this can provide to the operators. It is an exciting time, and you know, I, I invite our listeners to to jump online and just do their own homework around the Etsy Mano um, standard and what's happening around there, because these these are very big disruptive trends, but they're they're disruptive in a positive way in my mind, and that is that uh, often when when standards organisations uh, uh, have a, a position where they're driving a particular direction, people get concerned that it may be disruptive in a negative sense. But these are all very positive disruptions and they're bringing the industry together and they're bringing operators together because the more you can adhere to standards, the more open things become and the more easy it is to integrate and the less time and money and effort it costs to do that, I guess. And we've seen that with open source software and, and certainly enterprise software, but more so, I think, at open source. Um, but one of the comments I'd make is that, you know, Ericsson's had, you know, decades and decades of... of experience in this space. I remember, you know, and this will age me, but I mean, back, I think it was like 1986 or something. It was like about 30 odd, 33 years ago from memory. I mean, you know, even things like the languages for telco industry with Erlang. Uh, I mean, Ericsson's had a long lineage and history of, of being a solid leader in these spaces. And then 3GPP is another example. So I think you're well positioned to, to work with and, and, and participate in and, and in many ways lead these things. Uh, but it is great to see these standards are all coming together and that people are playing well together in the sandpit because sometimes they don't work like that. Um, but I, I do like your comment that they are big disruptors, but they're disruptors in a good way. 
And I think we've got an exciting future ahead of us. But, I mean, congratulations on, on this amazing challenge you've undertaken with uh, being the head of Cynix and, and the amazing successes. And, and, and a huge congratulations to yourself and your team around the launch of uh, the Ericsson Dynamic Orchestration Capability and Platform. That's just so exciting to see. The showcase is just amazing to see. And if anyone hasn't seen it, make sure you do before the, the event's over. Um, and, yeah, just been an amazing time here at MWC, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. And, and congratulations on a great event again as well. Excellent. Exciting to talk to you, Des. It's been a it's been a great journey. We're very excited, and please pass by and see our demos. It's uh, incredible uh, technology leadership and tool leadership here at the uh, Moore World Congress. Is indeed, and I look forward to having you back on show again. And uh, folks, we're going to wrap up with that. Thanks so much for joining us and tuning in. And uh, you've had the amazing opportunity to. Uh, get great insights and some uh, background uh, f from the amazing Fernando Mendez, who's the head of management orchestration, as well as the head of Cynix uh, at Ericsson in the uh, solution area operation support systems part of the business. Uh, Fernando, thank you so much for making time to catch up. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, we'll look forward to having you on the show again soon. Thank you, Des. <laughs>